Welcome to Casting Nets, a real podcast, not a fake one, a real podcast about real life and living faith. I'm Pastor Dave Rudot. I am here with Pastor Will Harley. Hello. And it is great to talk with you. I still have my thorn in my side. I'm sorry. And it is not Will Harley. (laughs) People think it's Will Harley. But if Will Harley, if you think, if you identify Will Harley as a thorn in your side, then you really have a problem with Jesus because with all of his foibles, that's what Will Harley is all about. Actually, if you think that Will Harley is a thorn in your side, you should contact us at <laughs> castingnetspod <laughs> at gmail.com or... On Facebook. On Facebook to let us know that I am the thorn or, in your side. Yeah, I had uh, had my test on my uh, uh, gallbladder. My gallbladder is working just great, so I'm very thankful about that. But I still have a pain in my side, so i got to figure out what's going on with that. So more tests are... It's children. It's children. <laughs> 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 what kind of test do they have for that? <laughs> Would that be fun, though? Doctor say, "Uh, your problem, Dave, is you have children." <laughs> oh, let's introduce the show. <laughs> okay, so today we are um, uh, starting our last book of the pastoral epistles, Second Timothy. This is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and it is the last of the pastoral epistles. It is Will Harley's favorite. It is my second... Of the pastoral epistles. Of the pastoral epistles, yes, right. Um, It's my second favorite, and I think uh, part of it is just fatigue. I've just been reading it over, over, and over again. kind of loses its luster, so it's good for us to go through this again, because then I I know that by speaking God's Word and sharing God's Word and talking about it, it will reignite in my my heart and mind as well as something very important and, and close and dear to me. But as Pastor Will Harley and I are talking together, we are just sharing our thoughts on God's Word. Um, We hold ourselves to the Lutheran Confessions, and we want to lift high uh, the cross of Christ. But sometimes we'll say something that doesn't represent our synod or our church bodies that we serve, maybe even not even represent ourselves as we're just thinking out loud. Because, dear listener, you're joining a conversation between two pastors. We're just throwing mud up against the wall, talking with one another, talking about the, the Word that really matters. And uh, and uh, so if we say something that uh, uh, upsets you or something where you're not sure exactly what we're talking about, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, like we said before, castingnetspod at gmail.com or our Facebook page or most of the people, most of the feedback we get is when people actually come and talk to us personally. And that really is the goal of this podcast, not that we would just do communicate one way, but also have a, a two-way conversation. Conversation, excuse me, between us and our listeners. All right. So then, without further ado, let's jump on in. book of 2 Timothy is often called the Apostle Paul's last will and testament. If you read the People's Bible, they give it a, a, a theme for the book of encouragement in troubled times. We're going to be talking about not being ashamed of the gospel in chapter 1, um, being strong in the Lord in chapter 2, and then the final days and final uh, conversations in chapter 3 and 4. It's a really uh, interesting book to see from a man who knows who's, who's really staring death in the face and when you're staring death in the face, things that are really important to you really come to light. Well, I would say that the People's Bible also gives Second um, Timothy five stars um, for for being. Uh, well, there you go. See, even the Lord has given it five stars. <laughs> yeah, my ring, my ringtone of the mighty fortress. <laughs> um, I, I picking up though on on and and I think. Right out of the gate, you'd you'd made a, a comment that that you know this is we're highlighting this is Paul's last will and testament. This is really where where Paul is is facing his mortality. And I'm not going to say he's facing death because I think we all can say Paul has the hope and comfort of eternal life. 
but he's facing his mortality, the end of his his earthly ministry here, and he's he's truly trying to to focus on what what Timothy should take with him. And the thing that strikes me, I think, um, the most is the tone that he sets in the very beginning words of his letter. And and the whole letter is going to have some amazing points that he makes as he as he upholds the gospel, as he 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 really focuses on sound doctrine and 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 not to be caught up in the triviality of the world, which is going to be coming throughout. But the the very tone that he sets in the very forefront of the letter, I think, sets the the whole pace. And he says, in, so what we would expect from him, of course, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That we would expect Paul to say. It's a flavor of a lot of what he normally would, would start a letter to. But then he he kind of jumps to a different, and it's not in any of his other letters. He says, in accordance with the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And, and I think that, like you had said, this is his last will and testament. He is looking at his mortality. He knows that he is he is headed for a martyr's death. And, and he is writing this letter in the shadow of the promise of life. Um, and it sets the tone for what the letter is truly about. Um, okay, I am going to uphold Christ. I am going to uphold his promise that I have life. And, and I will always have it. Yeah, where's that phrase where we say in the midst of life we are in death? I, he's kind of doing the opposite of that, isn't he? In the midst of death, I am in life. The, the encouragement of it uh, doesn't matter what's going to happen to to myself or what's going to happen to uh, to anyone. What we have in Christ Jesus is everything that we need. Absolutely, and that's a unique beginning. It's it's nowhere else in any of his his um, epistles where he he really starts off with uh, uh, hanging his hope on the promise of life and that that it's part of his call. As part of his call is 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 the promise of life. Um, so I mean that that sets the tone, um, that sets the the tenor of of where we're going. So let's let's jump on in and we'll just take it apart, probably section by section, like we've been doing, um, and and maybe highlight some good things for our listeners as they maybe have the book open and are reading it for themselves for the, maybe the first time. Yeah, I one of the things that strikes me, you talked about what strikes you as he it comes out of the gate, uh, is the clean conscience phrase in, in verse three. Uh, I know as a pastor, I've been in the ministry for a while now, just the idea of how can how can a pastor have a clean conscience? You would say, of course, they would always feel clean conscience because they always did the right thing. They're following Christ and they're following the confessions. But I think for pastors, sometimes we struggle with well, what might have been and what I could have done and, and all of those, uh, the inner pastor inside of you that you're always fighting, the guy that inside of you that is always the perfect guy who always had the right thing to say, who is the inner Jesus, who always always does everything right. And you reflect back on the day and you say, man, I could have done that better. I could have said this better. But we have a clean conscience, not because of all of the right decisions that we made, but we have a clean conscience because of Christ and what he has done for us. And we have a clean conscience because we know that Christ, who has called us into this ministry, is faithful and will use us, who who we are as jars of clay. He will use us as... Uh, as exhausted and as fractured and as uh, 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 frail as we are, he will use us for the glory of his church and the glory of his gospel. Well, and you know that clean conscience, you, you, you mentioned just how how it's hard for a pastor to have that clean conscience because there's always the, the doubt of, did I, did I do it well, haven't, you know, have I done enough? But, you know, on the same side of that is, is the Pharisee that can rear its ugly head within the pastor, right? The pastoral Pharisee that says, I know better, and and all of my decisions are good. And and I don't know, I don't know about you, but I have talked to with retired pastors who have said, I wish I wouldn't have done that in my ministry. You know, the idea of hair pastor, I am the right and you are the wrong, instead of working with their people, they dictated to their people, um, that, that can burden the conscience. And and I really like how you pointed out that that when it comes back down, the clear conscience isn't because of anything we have done or the way that we have lived or how we've conducted ourselves, but uh, it comes back down to Christ, who has proclaimed our conscience to be clean, and he links himself to his ancestors, which I thought was was kind of funny because um, I know the ancestors who is he who he's referring to. And I know he's referring to the ancestors that are in faith, so he's not referring to the unfaithful ones, but he's referring to the people like 
Jacob, and and he's referring to people like Moses, and he's referring to people like, uh, well, you could even add Aaron into that. He was a faithful person um, that served the Lord. He could probably be including David. Um, All of these people, we look back and we're like, if I was David, and I read the Psalms correctly, David's conscience was burdened a lot um, at many times in his life. Uh, Moses's conscience is burdened a lot at times in his life. Uh, Jacob is burdened a lot, and yet he can he he links himself. I serve with a clean conscience as my ancestors did. So, so I like where you said their focus was outside of themselves, not on the inside, um, not what they did to clean their conscience, but what was done to them to clean it, so that they they can say I have done all that I could in the Lord, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, which really links to what we're, um, what follows when he talks about the faith that's being passed on from generation to generation. What do we believe in? And what I appreciate when he's talking about uh, Timothy's uh, grandmother and mother, uh, Lois and Eunice, first of all, we just talk about just the effect of the vocational of motherhood and how good that is, a good thing. We, I know pastors talk a lot about the, um, the influence of fathers on their children and how you know, if a father goes to church, the percentage of children going to church as they get older just jumps. This is a correlation that we, you you can find, um, and it it makes sense because this is how God designed it as the head of the spiritual head of the household. If he's spiritually feeding himself in the Word, then his family also will be fed. That the Lord will bless uh, that decision of the of the father. Um, but let's not discount uh, the role of women in our lives too, our moms and grandmas, and and sharing God's Word with their children. Well, you know, and, and and I want to pause here on, on the progression through our first chapter because I, I think that deserves some, maybe some conversation because I, I don't think we want to give the impression that somebody can share their faith. In other words, take a portion of their faith and give it to their children. Um, I don't I don't think we want to give that impression that, that um, dear mother, if you have not stripped a part of your faith rooted in your heart and forcibly fed it to your child that you have now done a disservice to them. Um, and, and I don't think that that's not the intention because you can't do that. Faith is not something that you can rip from yourself. I mean, you can rip it from yourself and throw it away, but you can't take it from yourself and give it to someone else. And then all of a sudden you've lost it. Um, and, 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 or that there's this one pool of faith. And, and now that there's, you know, for well, Lois and for Eunice, they had a big pool of a hundred percent, and then they split it to fifty percent. And now Timothy is there, so now it's set. Now, now it's you know, what is it, thirty-three percent left? Um, no, that I don't think that's what's going on. What we have going on is, is that there is a sincere faith that lives in right Lois and Eunice, and 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 because of what they have done in their life as they have shared Jesus, it is created in. Timothy and lives in him, but it's the same faith. And and this is one of those things I think needs some time to, to trickle down. And because we live in a society where we have many parents who come to church or they say that they believe in Jesus, but then they say, I don't want to force that on my child. And, and I just want to say, just, just so it's very clear that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life because you're not for, you can't force faith on anyone. What you can do is you can present faithful things to them. So it's like it's like saying that and and not and I know I've heard a lot of analogies that have said, well, you know, um, people who say they don't want to force faith on their children or force religion on their children, um, it's like saying you're not going to force them to eat what's good for them. Or wash their hands. Or wash their hands. Or brush their teeth. Right. And and I think that this is, I agree with that statement, but I think that what, what's, what's really the, the point and purpose is, if it is good for you, if it is life-changing and life-defining for you, would that not be something worth giving yeah. to your children and presenting to them? You can't work it in their heart, but, but I, I just look at that and I say, how selfish it's good enough for me. It's a joy for me, but I'm I'm not going to give that to myself. But yet those same people are going to say, I remember when I played football and I played soccer and I'm going to force them to play it because they're going to learn good skills. Um, 
and and for those who think that I'm placing myself into their mind and saying this is what they're thinking, okay, maybe some of them aren't thinking that or they're probably thinking that, but they don't know they're thinking that. But that's the reality, right? They they force everything else on their kids. They force their lifestyle on their kids. They force their brushing teeth. Right, brushing teeth, washing hands. Washing hands. Um their sports teams or their love of sports or their love of hiking or whatever. Fishing, hunting. Right. And they don't have a problem with it, but when it comes to religion, it's like all of a sudden the walls come up, I don't want to do that to my child. Well, I'm sorry, but you know, if this is the promise of life, like Paul says, if, if this is the promise of life, and, and I'm going to have it because I'm in Christ, shame on me for not presenting that to my children and saying this promise is for you too, right? Yeah, I agree with everything you said, and, and I just would like to add the words, I am convinced that it also lives in you. Like, it's not a given. Um, it's not just like, well, because my parents go to church here, that therefore I have Christian faith, that this is not a, a given for each individual. Each individual, yes, needs to be in God's word. Uh, we talk about the, the importance of each individual being in, you don't just have your, your mom, oh, the mom reads the Bible for the whole family. No, everyone should be reading the Bible for the whole family. Or mom and dad, make sure they receive the Lord's Supper. It's not the same as everyone in that family receiving you know, receiving the Lord's Supper as the kids get older. So it's never a given, um, but it is also something that can be passed on. It's worthwhile to pass to be passed on. Well, and I think, and in, in, in both you and I have tried to do this in our life, I assume, and, and some days I do it better than other days, but sharing with our children the joy of gathering around God's Word and not, not making it um, a hindrance or a liability. You know, and, 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 and this is what we're talking about, dear listener, you know, just the simple fact of, of waking up in the morning and saying to your children, get going, we have to go to church. Probably not the greatest approach. But waking up in the morning and say, come on, we're going as a family. This is a great thing for all of us. Um, and then when you come home, you know, instead of saying, man, I can't I can't believe pastor said that. And you know that hymn. That hymn was horrible, and I'm hating the organ. Why can't we ever play the piano? Instead of saying stuff like that, say, well, you know, did you, you, did you catch the words? That hymn just struck me. Or the way, you know, I didn't really think about the way pastor phrased that. And 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 that makes me think. And 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 let's talk about it. What? How did you come back from this? You know, just the idea of of saying this is worthwhile to share within our family, and and it grows. And he approaches that as he, because you had made that mention, you know, that that he is he is convinced is there, and then he backs it up as he starts verse six, as he says, now this thing that I'm convinced is there, it's got to grow, it, it's got to be strengthened, and 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 the only way to do that is to engage with it. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need the Holy Spirit, who is not a timid thing. Right. Uh, the Holy Spirit is someone who is powerful, one who is uh, one who is uh, uh, of love and sound judgment. That's in verse seven. So the what we are engaging with is the Word of God, the means of grace, which, which the Word, which the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen our faith and and uses to fan into flame the gift that God has given us. Yeah, and 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 so he's he's really giving Timothy some some wonderful encouragement here, as as he's saying, you know, um, Timothy, don't be timid yourself, right? Uh, be bold, and and maybe it's a good thing to to share with our listeners. There are two major things in the world that stand against us that that would cause us to be ashamed and timid, um, and the first has to do with ourselves, I think, um, and that is when we fail to see Jesus as the treasure that he is, um, we become very timid, right? When, when we fail to see, when we think that we are the treasure and, and it's not Jesus that is the treasure, um, we become very timid and we don't lift him up. The other thing that I think that causes timidity and, and maybe is seen more in the world and it's outside of ourself is the world itself. Because we see somebody, we see the world that is hostile to the message of Christ. We see the world that's hostile to the message of of life in Jesus and Him alone, and we we live in a world that says, "No, we can we can find it in ourselves if we look deep enough, if we place ourselves in the uncomfortable positions and 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 call it yoga." Um, we are that's my slam against yoga. <laughs> And and we we do all these castingnetspod at gmail dot com. <laughs> <laughs> but but isn't it? I mean, 
is it not true? We 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 think that the world is hostile. Well, we know the world is hostile against Jesus because to be a Christian says it's not not that Christ is one way of many ways. He is the way, the truth, the life. And and when we stand up for that, we're going to get pushback. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, um, I'm going to talk about uh, just the idea of not the idea. Just talk about how. Sometimes when we see the heat that comes from, let's say, uh, abortion, uh, with uh, with Texas recently, Texas passing a law having anything to do with abortion, just it's just on the peripherals. It's a, now it's just a civil case that a Christian could bring again. It's not anything major. Now you see all this heat against it, and then Christians start to shirk back and say, "Well, maybe it is really just a woman's choice, rather than this is life that needs to be defended." And so there's there's still you see the heat out there for something else, and then this leads you to to not stand up for Christ and His Word, which tells us that life is important and life begins at in concept conception. Yeah, and you know I don't want to I because that is a hot topic, and we could really really and we should really do a topic on abortion. I I really think that we should we should take a time and just pause our 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 stroll through the scriptures, although I love the stroll through the scriptures, but maybe talk about abortion and, and really what's going on in society with this whole heated thing. But what I, I, I want to bring back to the scriptures and, and say, because you, you brought it up very, very clearly how we shirk back, right? When, when, when we think we have the law standing with us, then we're like, I'm so bold. Um, but then all of a sudden when, when things start to turn and people who have more money than we do, or people that, you know, we want to watch them in the movies, um, start having a different opinion. We, we kind of shirt back. This is the time when I would say, grow a spine. And you can't do that for yourself. <laughs> I think we have the illusion of growing a spine. Like people post stuff on, on social right. media where they're like, oh, I'm I'm being oppressed and here I'm going to stand up. And whatever the whatever it is that they're standing up for is a commonly held belief, right? But they're acting as if, everybody's against them and so then they think well you know i'm standing all by by themselves when you're really not standing all by yourself you're standing by what everybody else agrees with right or, or what the cultural the world agrees with but uh the encouragement from the apostle paul is uh stand up on the word don't just stand up just to stand up well and 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 going back to my comment of growing a spine notice what what as paul says it uh, um he says join with me in suffering for the gospel uh, while relying on the power of God. So your spine isn't good enough. <laughs> your strength isn't good enough. We know this because we're sinners. We're weak. We're very, very weak. Um, we're bold to express our desire for sin, and we are so very weak to stand under the pressures of the world when, when it comes to Christ. And that's because it's not us who can stand? It is Christ who stands and supports us. It is Christ who, whose power now, um, by His strength, right, we are able to do all things. Um, it is He who strengthens me. Um, so, so when I say grow a spine, take that as the gospel imperative. <laughs> grow a spine in Christ. <laughs> Let Him power you to do what is in His will for you to do. Um, it was a, it was Augustine who so beautifully said. When it talks about gospel imperatives in that way, which I think, and this is loaded with gospel imperatives, right? Stand with me. Uh, do these things. These are gospel imperatives. Suffer with me. Gospel imperatives. Um, but as as Augustine, St. Augustine from, from early church father, he would say, um, God's commands through the gospel create what he commands. And, and that's the gospel imperative, right? Through the work of Christ, create what it demands. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing for us to notice is that, that we are not doing this on our own. It's not as if Timothy is saying, wow, I am so motivated, Paul. Thank you so much for giving me this motivation and I'm going to change my inner self. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm petrified of doing this. I'm seeing what happens to my, my father in the faith and he is dying um, and going to die and it's not going to be pleasant. And, and instead he, he turns to his Lord um, by the power of the Spirit and it is his Lord, his Savior, who lifts him up to continue on in this journey. That's an that's an awesome thought to think of. Paul sitting there in prison. You know, Paul, who is the greatest, we call him the greatest missionary. Paul, who is uh, Timothy's mentor. And so if Timothy is saying to himself, well, if they crucified Christ, 
and Paul's sitting there in prison in Rome, and it looks like he's going to die. He's 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 talking to me as if he's facing his own mortality. What's what's in it for me? Well, what's gonna what, what am I going to have to deal with? So it would be much easier for Paul to to come to Timothy and say, "Hey, look at me. I've got my uh, 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 my Chrysler and my uh, nice uh, cabin up uh, up north, and that's what it means to be retirement, a follower of Christ. Man, yeah, retirement, retirement. Yeah, right." <laughs> Uh, the uh, retirement benefits are out of this world. You know, this is all the stuff you have to look forward to, all the time you get to be out hunting and fishing now that you're uh, fo- a follower of Christ. No, Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, uh, this, is, you, this is what you might expect because you are a follower of Christ. So don't let that, don't shirk back from what's in front of you to proclaim the gospel because it is so powerful. It has the power to change people's hearts. It has the power to give to to create in you what you didn't have, and that is the the ability and the spine that you need to be a follower of Christ in a world that is against Him. Right, and as you said, like with all with all gospel imperatives, it it hinges on the on a proclamation, right? Mm-hmm. And and so the proclamation comes up in our text, which. Which I think is is some verse beautiful nine, yeah. verse nine, beautiful gospel. He that is Jesus saved us, called us with a holy calling, not because of our our works. There you go. See, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Um, man, how awesome! Right? How awesome is that? And and where is this grace seen so clearly? It is seen um, in Jesus Christ before all time began. Right. Um, I, I love how grace is something that is a primary characteristic of God. It's not a God reaction to anything. It is This is who he is. He has this unmerited favor toward what he has created. This is a characteristic of God. It's not something where he's responding and saying, um, you guys sinned, so now I show you grace. No, this is God's, this is his characteristic. And I think that's an important thing because then it, it frames uh, how God, when he created Adam and Eve, he did this by God's grace. That's why he did that. Why did he save them? Because of his grace. It all starts with God and has the effect on us, this wonderful effect uh, that he has uh, saved us through what Jesus has done. Well, and I think, and, and, and stepping in line with what you're saying is the this, this unmerited love that we have of our Father is from before the creation. Um, you know, before time began, this was the plan. And and this maybe goes back to previous conversations that you and I have had when we were dealing with Ephesians, and you, you get to those those uh, statements of predestination, right, um, <clears throat> in Ephesians, and, and we all get lost in the weeds and say, well, did God know beforehand that we would accept it? Or did, you know, all those, those, those questions, um, did God see in his foreknowledge that we would come to faith and therefore he sent Jesus? And the answer is no. The answer is God's most clearest picture of his grace is Jesus from all eternity for you, for all, right? Um, God predestined the pattern that in Christ he would save. God predestined the pattern that in Christ people would be placed, that, uh, that waters of baptism would link you into the body of Christ, and you will die with him and rise with him. Um, that in Christ, you would go back to the very first words of Paul in the letter, and, and you would hinge on the promise of life that is in Christ, who is living from all eternity. Um, these are the beautiful truths that are now strengthening Timothy. These are the beautiful truths that strengthen our spines, too, as as we are standing up to defend this gospel um, as we stand up to guard it um, and say, no, I am not going to give this up. I am not going to to remove myself from this treasure. Uh, not because there's anything I can do, not because I bring something special to it. Um, it's because this is so life-changing, so life-giving, so life-pronouncing that if I don't pronounce it and I don't share it and I don't stand, I lose it. And and I think there is something very profound in these statements um, that that we as a Christian church have stopped in our pronouncement. We we've we've in many ways and in many churches we have cloistered ourselves into our 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 our, our white towers, uh, and we have said, "Well, there's people out there, and I engage with them every day, but I don't want to offend them." 
how is sharing life offending them? How is sharing how is sharing Jesus who brings life and and wipes away their sins and 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 shares his love with them as he shared with you offending them? Only to say that now they can't now they feel guilty for doing the things that they want to do in the way that they want to live, right? I mean that's the the offense is the the offense is I like sin. <laughs> right? Yeah. Verse 9 is my favorite chap uh, verse of this chapter because it reminds me of and what you so beautifully said talking about Christ is what we're all about. And when we're talking with our friends and neighbors, if we're not talking about Christ with them in some way, if we're not uh, intentional and in saying how can I have this how can I in this relationship, how can I bring up Jesus and my 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 need for a sa- a savior? How can I not talk with my uh, friends and my relatives about Jesus in some way? What else is there to talk about? What else is there? In in we could talk about sports. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about farming. We can talk about hunting and fishing. But uh, Jesus is 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 everything. And he is the reason why we have we have confidence. He is the reason why we have confidence living in this life. He is the reason why we have confidence as we think about the future and the life to come. Well, and and not only is that, and not only is it the internal confidence that we have, but let, let I think we need to come down to brass tacks and just say, the reason why I tolerate people is because of Jesus. I'll be. I mean, it, this sounds really, and that sounds bad. And I'm sorry because they're like, "Well, he's a it's pastor. He should yeah, love people." <laughs> I'm sorry, but no, I, I'm human too. And and let's face it, my sinful nature says, "If you are not useful to me, I don't care about you," because that's my sinful nature. And everybody has it deep down. No matter what you try to cover it up with, or whatever programs you try to open up on your in your own brain. If someone is not useful to you or maybe in the future will be useful to you, you don't want to give them the time of day. But in Christ, I do. Because in Christ, you are important because you're important to him. And so he says to me, they are important. Love them. What a profound change in in culture, in my culture, and in my brain, that that I can sit with people that I would not associate with at all, and I can love them not because they bring any value to me, but because they are valuable to Christ, and and Christ died for them. Can I get on a tangent? And talk Absolutely, about, okay. I do all the time. <laughs> so, my question is, and I've I've had this this week has been a, a trying week. It's been a trying week for both of us. We we we're both exhausted. Um, but what during during the week, what is the time that you as an individual, you feel like this is the coolest job to be in as a pastor? Like you say, what really, what is a moment during the week where you would say, I'm so glad I'm a pastor. I like it. I don't know. I don't. I'll, Honestly, I'll, you're asking me that question or yes, this is floating it out the there? I'm okay. floating. I'm asking. <laughs> so. So I I I can say this week I had I had some of my highest moments and I had one of my lowest moments where I said to myself and I even came home and asked my wife I said am I cut out to do this job or should I just be done and go get a job somewhere else and and just sit in the pew um and my wife says you're good at your job and she didn't really expand upon that and I don't think she needed to but it helped clear my head a little bit but I, I'm going to tell you, for me, I have multi, I, I would have to say, especially during the school year, I have multiple highs in, in the ministry where I say I love my job. And the first one is on Monday morning when I get to join with, with you and, and Pastor Hefner and we open up the scriptures and we have a good time just discussing God's word. That is a high. I, I, I'm like... So many things that we can't bring out in sermons, we get to discuss at that, and we can chuckle at this, and we can like, and and there's some there's some just it, it's not serious, you know, it's work, but it's not serious work in the sense of, of um, I am I am, my nose is to the grindstone, and I have to cut everything out. It's like no, we're trying to we're trying to ring it for everything it's worth. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love teaching. I love being in the classroom, um, with adults and with kids. And, and just getting excited to share with them 
something that I gleaned over the 40 years of life on this earth, walking in Christ. Um, and, and then every now and then seeing that shimmer in their eyes because, ah, it clicked. Most of it doesn't. It goes right over their head or they have the glassy-eyed stare like, oh, he's passed around his soapbox again. <laughs> but but every now and then you get that, that, and those are highs. But equally, there's the lows, right? When, when you think to yourself, I'm not doing all the visits maybe I should or the people I visited didn't come to church or the the opportunity that I gave someone to be in a class or to have time to talk with me or the multiple times that you've said, if you would like to talk with me, I want to talk with you and no one takes you up on that. Um, they just erode that confidence that you have that you're making any type of difference. Um, and that's tough. I mean, and maybe this comes to what you're saying is there's no parameter for ministry. And and so for the as many multiple highs as you can have in seeing the gospel work, you have as many lows that says, I'm just spinning my wheels. Um, and, and am I doing anything? And dear listener, notice you would, th- I guess I didn't share my, thank you very much for sharing your highs and your lows. Uh, for me, for the highest high is also on Monday mornings. Um, because we're opening the scriptures and we're we're applying the gospel to ourselves, and as we're not just looking looking at the scriptures and say, "How can I preach a sermon on this?" But what does this actually say? And and I love the spirit of our engagement because we're not just saying, "Well, we're we're not going verse one." Okay, how am I going to use this in a sermon? No, we're just let's just read this text and, and make sure we know what it actually says. Is it saying what we think it's saying, or is it saying something else? And we explore the different avenues uh, when we're really looking down at uh, the tenses and the, the genitives and datives and, and all the cases of the words and just saying, make sure that we know what this says. And you get out of a, a class, uh, a time like that, it's kind of, perhaps it's the same how members in congregation feel when you're in a Bible study with a pastor where the Bible, where the pastor just opens the scriptures to you and says, oh, that's, you know, I, I've heard this, I know what it says, but now I have a renewed appreciation for it. Perhaps that also happens when you listen to a podcast with Pastor uh, Harley and my, myself talking about the scriptures, where you, the scripture is being opened. That's a highlight for us in, in the gospel ministry. Um, I had a high this 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 week. This week is uh, for myself was not a normal week as being a pastor. I have a congregation that is closing, so there's all kinds of meetings and get-togethers. But there was a moment uh, this week where we had we were sitting down and we were talking about something and the members together, and it was the the connection between myself and the members around me and how I was their shepherd. It just it wasn't their boss. I wasn't their CEO. I was their shepherd. I was the one that they were, I was Christ, not in the terms that, that I was their Messiah, but I was the one who represented Christ to them as they were, as they were talking. And I was able to, to confine myself to that role. Like I wasn't trying to be the leader. I wasn't trying to be the CEO. I was just saying, here I am, to talk to you about the gospel ministry and remind you what 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 you're doing, you we have we all have we have a leader in this room, myself included, but it's not me. It's Christ who is the leader. I, I don't know if that's making any sense, but just that the I the 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 moment of clarity where you realize, as an under shepherd of the great of the good shepherd, uh, how neat how he leads his people through you. And for that, that was a high moment for me, because. You're functioning as the way that you always envision yourself functioning, uh, not the way that society says that a pastor is. A pastor is your leader. He's the boss. He comes up with the ideas. He's the guy who's the cheerleader, rah, rah, rah. But the, some, the guy who's your shepherd, who guides you in God's word and guides you. Um, I got a mosquito flying around here. But um, that was a high moment for me. Of course, the low moments are, is kind of the same as, as you were. It seems like you're spinning your wheels. Like, why am I doing all this? Uh, where am I going to find the time to do all the things I need to find the time for? Um, but the Apostle Paul's encouragement for us always about, I, I killed the mosquito, I think. Either that or he's going to get a nice uh, breakfast this morning of coffee and uh, rock stars. Um, you know, I, I um, just just as a comment, since you started the tangent, and I guess we just want to follow the tangent a little bit. You know, I, I think as as pastors, um, and I just 
I had this low moment when I was talking with my wife about it. And I said, I said, you know, I, I don't expect everybody in the, in the, in the church to look at the, the church and say, this is, this is my life and my all in all. I said, you know, I understand that that is for me. Um, you know, I, I live and breathe in the, the church and the ministry. I love it. But I said, it really bothers me. And, and, and it gets more and it becomes more bothersome as I get older, maybe. But it bothers me when when you have all these people who look at all the other stuff in their life. And and maybe this is a, it's definitely a first commandment issue. But they 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 look at you and they say, well, we're not putting anything above Jesus, but they're putting everything else on the same level as Jesus. And and then they 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 give you all of the reasons why they couldn't. Right. You know, I, I long ago, I long ago uh, made up in my mind that I would be perfectly content if my members just came to worship on Sunday. I don't I don't they don't need to be at the Bible study. It'd be great if they're there. But they don't need to be at the Bible study. They don't need to be at potluckings. They don't need to be at at all the weekly things. But to see them there on a Sunday in a worship being fed on the very thing that has kept the church going for thousands of years would be refreshing. And I just come back and, and it was my low moment this week, but I'm like, we have 52 opportunities. If you think about it, that's nothing. 52 hours, 52 hours in an entire year. And we make 53 excuses for why I can't have 52 hours in a year to gather around Jesus. And it's depressing. Yeah, I th- yeah it is depressing. It's, um, it is interesting, maybe the dear listener, as we're talking about the high points of our ministry, and we say what really is a high point for us is when we're connecting with our members with God's word. So you notice in both neither one of us said preaching on Sunday morning is a high point for us, and I think it's just because it's we are on our game and so 100 percent, we are we're, we've got so many things to think about we want to make sure that we're reaching out to it's each the only day we work yes <laughs> we uh we've got so much on our mind and i don't mean to be whining about it i'm just saying just trying to open your eyes to say yeah you might think that pastor is always uh um, jazzed by having all of these people listening to him in his sermon on sunday but it is. It is. Uh, Sunday is also a time where we are confronted with our highs and our lows at the same time. Where we're connecting with people, but then we're also seeing they're not in church. There's I a wish, lot of empty pews. There's a lot of yeah. Not that they need to fill, be filled with and listen to us. Though it's not about us, but just the idea of these people need Christ. These people need the Shepherd to guide over them. They need His gifts, uh, the Lord's Supper. And here they haven't had the Lord's Supper here for you know here. For my, my my congregation, we do it once a month. So I say, well, they're not here, on, so it's another month that they missed. They fill up their car with gas more than they they fill up their soul, right? So it it isn't just that, for, and for the dear listener, it isn't just that we are ups, um, frustrated that people aren't listening to us speak on on a sermon, but that they're not receiving the gifts that they receive at church. Uh, that's an important thing uh, for them. So uh, Sunday morning is kind of a high and a low at the same time, so they right. kind of balance each other out. There are times during the week where the highs uh, are all by themselves, where you're sitting there in a, a teaching confirmation, where kids are, yeah, you understand, it goes with the territory, they're teenagers, you can't expect them to be seminary students, always enraptured with what, everything you have to say, but yet you are there to connect with them. Or in the situation I was talking about, where you're in a room with your members and you're connecting with them, you are connecting God's word, you're, you're shepherding them, just as a high, that this is the reason why you're there. There's the, the disappointment of who's not here and, and disappointment of uh, not uh, following through in their Christian life. That isn't there so much. But anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. I was just trying to, I guess I was trying no, to wrap things up. No, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a, I think that's a good point that you're making. And the point that you're making is, is very simply, needed to be made very simply that the ministry is, is, is not all um, preaching Jesus and smiling and, 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 and roses. It's, it's, it's a job. It's a thankless job in many ways. And I'm not asking for thanks. Um but it's a job that that comes with its own highs and lows and the burden on the pastor who 
who needs to be finding his strength in Christ because let's face it, it's it like all the other impossible jobs that are out there. It's an impossible job that I can't do. Um, and, and that leads actually me to my favorite verse of chapter one, because your favorite verse of chapter one was nine, right? Yeah. My favorite verse of chapter one is 12 where, and that's really starting in the second half of 12. It says, but I am not ashamed because I know the one in whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what he entrusted to me until that day. Um, and I and if you notice, if you're reading along in the EHV or any of the others, and you're like, wait a second, it it says it says what I have entrusted to him until that day. I'm 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 reading the variant, <laughs> the, the Will Harley variant. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I looked at that again last night as I was looking at just the, the this is one of those ideas where the the uh, the Greek language there is not as clear and crisp as we would like because pastors throughout time if you even go on the wells seminary website and you look at second uh, timothy chapter one you'll find both versions of what 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 is uh paul talking about there so will has tipped his hat and said this is where i'm kind of leaning but just for for the the listener it's still my favorite verse no matter which way you want it <laughs> yeah right the, the the beauty of it doesn't matter how how you lean on it it's still about christ and what right. he has done it, you 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 lose it if you start thinking what I, if you're looking at the EHV and it says what I have entrusted him until that day, you lose the text. If you start thinking that Paul is in any way placing any kind of confidence in his entrustment, like I did something awesome and now he's going to do this. It That's not what the text is saying at all. It is either it's talking about something being entrusted to Paul or Paul entrusting something to Christ. But really what really matters is God's promise to be faithful, not Paul's entrustment of right. whatever it is. And, and really the focus of what he's saying in that specific sentence is, is it's all hinging on God's, uh, on God's ability in Christ to guard. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> I'm, 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 I fail at that too. <laughs> right. Um, you know, um, I have a dog at home and, and she barks a lot. Um, when someone comes in, but then when someone comes in, she wags her tail and rolls over. She's a horrible guard dog. Um, that's me, right? That's that's all of us without Christ. We need someone to guard it. We need someone to guard guard this thing that's entrusted to us, our ministries, our callings, our, our work, our faith, um, because I can't. Um, and so I, I need this. I need him to stand guard over it. Yeah. Um, and... Uh you're you're convinced as Paul is that God is faithful and that is uh I, most I, days <laughs> most days <laughs> I I like how I I just see the flow of thought in second Timothy where the apostle Paul as he's looking toward the future the end of his life he's also looking toward the past and looking at how his ancestors were faithful how well not that they were faithful but God through the means of grace caused them to be faithful and he said this is the uh, uh, the uh, heroes of faith standing behind him, cheering him on, saying, "These are the guys that have been faithful to Christ and and this message." And now, I'm faithful to that. And as I look toward the future, I'm I am confident that God will continue to be faithful to His gospel promise and His word. Right, and now hold fast to that. Right, um, as as um, he starts to wrap up what we would call chapter one, and he he's kind of wrapping up his full thought on on guarding or, or having this, this wonderful message guarded for us um, in proclamation. He says, hold fast to this message. Um, this is, this is uh, in very many ways, the Sedes Doctrinae for why we practice fellowship the seed way we— Seed of Doctrine. The Seed of Doctrine. I should have translated that instead of saying it in Latin. Um, but it is, it, is the, it is in many ways why we practice— uh, fellowship the way that we practice and why we do the things that we do. Because we are safeguarding, we're holding to the pattern of sound words, right? Mm-hmm. We are holding to this pattern of we're not going to say all, all the multiple translations and, uh, and ideas of the gospel come together to make this wonderful garden of, of faith. No, it is the pattern of what Christ has given to us that makes the wonderful garden of faith, <laughs> <laughs> of which all of you have been planted because because it is his promises, not my opinions. Um, and, and so he says, hold to this pattern. Hold to the pattern of using God's word, of sharing Jesus, of using the scriptures, of being the Bereans, of, of not adding your own ideas, 
but but sticking with what God has given to you, and 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 you'll even say what he, what specifically has been entrusted to you, because, and and this is maybe going back to our conversation on the parents as well. You have been entrusted with a gift to share. That's profound. It it you have been entrusted with something that its sole purpose of being entrusted to you was for you to use it. And to pass it on. And to pass it on. That's its whole purpose. That's the sole purpose. And you will always have more to give. Right? So do you see, that, dear listener, the, the great lie that Satan has? You don't want to force religion on your children because Satan doesn't want you to talk about Jesus to your children because that's going to save your children. There's no other way. It's Stop thinking of your your religion or going to church as a tradition that could be changed or maybe not as necessary. But you need to be having your family in worship and having your fa- and you as a parent, because you are confirmed, to receive the Lord's Supper because this is something that needs to be passed on. This is a pattern that needs to be passed on because it is the only thing that saves. You know, and just another tangent, just to very briefly jump on to, um, the reason why you, the nation, the United States, came up with this idea that we we hold so dearly that we have a freedom of religion is because the people who founded this nation understood that faith was entrusted to them and and there had to be a freedom in sharing it because it was entrusted to them um we have left that we have left that and and faith and religion um and church has become has become the thing, well, I go because grandma goes, and that's grandma's church, or I go because that's mom and dad's church, or I go because they made me, or I or or things of that nature. And instead of saying, No, this is this this dear listener, if you're listening about about uh, from Emmanuel or you're listening from St. John's, your church is entrusted to you. Not just the building, but what happens there. It, it, the 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 word that is preached from its walls, the 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 meal of Christ's body and blood that is given from its altar, the gift of faith that is poured over the child and adult in the waters of baptism, that is the church, and it is entrusted to you. It is entrusted to you to not die with you, but to live through you, um, to others. And to be given as a gift to others for the future, um, and if we have failed in sharing that and doing that and, and in upholding that, um, shame on us. And I'm not saying, oh, our church is getting older. We failed. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. That's that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if we have failed to view this as as what is entrusted, the gift entrusted, we have failed. If we if we've viewed it as this is just what we do. Then we failed, right? If we made it so individual, if we made our Christian faith so individual, individualized, like it doesn't, like each generation gets to reinvent what it means to be a religious person or to be a person of faith. If um, that's a, a great mistake, because what and because what we've been given is Christ in in the Word. All of these things that you might view as you know these are just traditions. Understand that they were given so that. Christ could be given to you. Yes, we can always look at our the traditions of the church uh, and say, is this really preaching Christ to us, or is this just something that we're holding on to just because? But let's not just come at it at whole hog and just look at the whole thing and say, well, this is just something that may have lost its usefulness, or this was something for uh, generations ago but not needed today as, as a whole. But look at what the church is doing, the, the visible church is doing is proclaiming Christ and giving his gifts. Uh, that is something that needs to be cherished and passed on. This is our uh, deposits that's been given to us that must be uh, shared. Yeah. And, and and so that's my soapbox in the sense of, of, of gift, how the church is a gift. Um, but but he's, Paul is directly, right, um, referring to, to how this is not being treated well in the church that Timothy is serving. Um, and he's going to bring up at the end of chapter one, uh, a couple of men who have fallen away from this. 
um, um, safeguarding this great treasure. He names names. He names names, which which, which you would say in a sermon you never should do, right? <laughs> yeah, right? You should never name names, especially in a bad way. Right. Um, I <laughs> I like how the Apostle Paul, like when it's a doctrine thing, when there he doesn't name names when it's like he wants to make sure that this false doctrine is always fought against. But whatever these two guys did, uh, Phygelius and Hermogenes, whatever these two guys did, it wasn't doctrinal. It must have been some other thing that they turned against him um, because their doctrine isn't mentioned. Uh, in chapter 2, there are some guys that are named na- that, that Paul names. He names them, and, but he also reveals their doctrine. This is the problem that they were doing. So I... I, I don't we obviously, that's my opinion. I don't know why uh, he names the names, but he doesn't give a doctrine in, in connection with it. But uh, I think I think what you have, and and I could be wrong because, but who he names after that, uh, Onesiphorus, um, he he kind of highlights him and saying he went out of his way to to help me while I'm 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 a prisoner here. And I think we have the the difference between these two guys. We have maybe maybe why he's calling and this is speculation. Maybe why he's calling out the two um, and saying that they did not they left me they turned away from me is that they had promised help, and they 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 just said no, I'm absolutely not, um, which would follow the line right of of the the encouragement to Timothy to stand firm to 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 have a spine in Christ to do this and and by the way here's two that didn't. Here's two that 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 maybe fell in that regard. Um, not saying they're not Christian. Not saying that they they've fallen in their, in, into unbelief necessarily, but but maybe they fell in standing up, um, and that's possible. That's, yeah, it is all. That's uh, again, that's poss- possible. It's speculation. I guess it it makes sense if he names a name because it might seem like these two guys could present themselves as someone who could be of help to Timothy. And and Paul recognizes something in their character that they're not people that follow through on their word. They're not people that, when push comes to shove, are going to hold on to Christ and His word. So he's going to let Timothy know these guys are guys to be avoided. So, just so, to kind of wrap up here, what what I I have one question for you. I'm ready. If you were going to have a one line in Scripture, and your name was in that one line. What would you want to be known for for all eternity in God's word? Dave Rudat, one my epitaph. Yes, that 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 for all eternity, in God's word, you are immortalized with one one line. It because these it, two guys are immortalized <laughs> with they turned away from me. That's a good question. I, I I'd have to think about it, but I guess it would be the same thing. What uh, knee jerk reaction would be? He talked about Jesus. Okay, hey, that's great. For me, I, I'm kind of go back to the. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. And I'm going to pull one from the from the dusty pages of Kings. Okay, he did what was right in the eyes of the, the Lord. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that could be taken the wrong way, but but I understand the the I, what I. Th- what I think is what uh, you can correct me on this, but taking the best construction on that would be did what was right was proclaiming Jesus and talking to Jesus absolutely about, about, talking about Jesus, not the not the uh, Pharisaic, uh, I, I, you know, like he always did what was right and never made a mistake. Absolutely, absolutely. But just you know, it makes you think because sometimes here and as as we wrap up our show, you know. Um, Paul is throwing out some names we've never heard before. These are these are people we know nothing about. History tells us nothing about them. But the thing that we know is is some of them are we have the one liner of hey he did a good thing or hey, these guys didn't do a very good thing, and it just makes you think if I was going to be put in scripture and immortalized for all eternity for other believers to follow and they're going to see my one my name, what 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 would I want it to say right? Um, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that with my own father who was a pastor for twenty seven years. I was thinking, what would be an epithet for him? And it was basically would be, it was the one word that came to my mind was faithful, that he was faithful to to God and His word, not that uh, he was successful. You know, like he was, he wasn't a Joel Osteen or anything like. He wasn't a Rick Warren. Didn't write any books. Uh, he will not really be remembered on the pages of the Wells history. You know, Pastor Arnold Rudat, pastor for twenty seven years, but faithful that he was a pastor, and uh, perhaps. I was thinking back with Paul as he's writing to Timothy, uh, as we kind of wrap up the 
at wrapping up the show is it's faithful to Jesus and the, and the gospel ministry. That's the important thing as he's communicating to Timothy, uh, be faithful to the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done. Cause this good news of Jesus isn't just for that time, but for all time, whether it be in the time in the past or whether it be a time in the future, it's always about Jesus and what he has done for you. 